0: Luke 18, Part One, spoken by Pastor Douglas Cho. The new year brings a lot of celebration, brings a lot of joy, right? I know many of you, if not most of you, have plans for tonight. Uh, Some of you I have heard are just staying home and reading a book, and you know watching the ball drop on TV. Uh, Some of you are going to like a party at someone's home and celebrating with other people, and some of you going to the club, right? You're going to the club. I used to go to those a lot. You know, they have those posters, like, $65 and champagne toast included. I'm like, champagne toast, I'm there, you know, drinking your little champagne with everyone that night. Um, but the new year brings a lot of celebration. And what I do at the end of the year, uh, subconsciously or not, is I like to review and reflect on the year. I do this because I love nostalgia, I get really nostalgic just going through the years because I'm dramatic, right? I'm very dramatic. I was, even, I was an even more dramatic eighth grader uh, when I was 13 or 14. Uh, something called Y2K happened, right? So now some of you are thinking, oh, he's like so young. And some of you are thinking, oh, he's kind of old, right? But Y2K happened. And it was like the most drama I had ever heard in my life, right? The Time magazine had an article on it. The world was supposed to end. And I was explaining the nines are becoming zeros and we don't know what to do, right? This crazy crisis. And then when midnight hit and then it was 12.01 and the internet was still going, right? My 56K was still going. I I sent a chain email from my AOL account to like 40 people I barely knew. And I was like, we made it. We made it, people. You need to live your life to the fullest now. It was a big deal for me. Big deal. But it is nice to review. It is nice to reflect. And if we reflect on 2017 as a church, uh, this year was when we actually started our series on the book of Luke. It's when we embarked on this journey, which will actually continue in 2018 until about mid-April. And even if you've heard every single sermon, it's not easy to remember every single sermon, right? So it's cool to look back and see like, themes that were happening across the year. We spoke on Christian values, generosity, stewardship, right? serving God with your money, being all in for the kingdom, discipleship, discipleship and discipleship, faith tried by works. Passion for the least of these. And even a few weeks ago, we spoke on the way to God's heart. Right? Luke focuses a lot on God's heart for his people. And today's passage is no different. Um, it gives us this picture where God is just showing us, he's presenting us what he feels for you, for his people. He's giving us a picture, and Jesus intentionally reiterates this, I believe, because it is so easy to misunderstand God's heart for his people. It is not uncommon. Many of you are in here struggling for or struggling against the wrong things because you misunderstand God's heart for you. Many of you are in here maybe resenting God because you misunderstand his heart for you. Today's passage speaks on understanding his heart better. But before we go into it, let's pray. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Father God, just thank you, Lord, for this time that we have together to be a church to be your body. And we thank you for this year, Lord. We thank you and we praise your name for the victories and the blessings that we've received, Lord. And we lift up our cares and our anxieties to you as well, Lord God. Help us to trust in your hand, Lord. Help us to trust in your word, God. So I pray that there would be less of me, more of you, Lord, and that you would speak to your people. That, Lord, you would whisper encouragement to them, Lord God, and you would gently bring them to their knees. That, Father, we would be a people that are after your own heart, Lord God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Our passage comes from Luke 18, verses 1 through 14. Verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told them this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven But beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. It's the word of God. In this first part of our text, Jesus introduces a widow and a judge. For those of you who don't know, back in those days, judges were responsible for justice and judgment, right? They were responsible for bringing God's shalom to the community, God's peace to God's people, right? So it makes sense that they should care about God's people. Also, this judge is supposed to fear the Lord. If we look in 2 Chronicles, uh, Jehoshaphat gives a command to judges, let the Lord's Uh, Let fear of the Lord be upon you. So we can kind of assume this judge is not very good at his job. Um, He is supposed to be representative of God's judgment. So, caring after these people is part of the job description. The widow, on the other hand, is the oppressed, she is not taken care of, Uh, she's looked down on in society. Uh, Oftentimes, widows were not able to inherit their husband's estate, right? And much less work or find work to support themselves. So it makes sense for this widow to be approaching a judge. The two are extremely different, but the key difference here is that one is in power and one is powerless. We see this a lot in Luke. One is elevated and one is lower, and then there's a reversal, right? We could even say that this widow's not a very good widow. If we look at verses 3 to 5, and there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Right? This widow got this judge shook. Right? Because she is coming to him, and she is coming. You got to imagine like Oprah coming to the door. She's like, grant me justice now. Right? It's much like in chapter 11 with the friend banging on the door, on his neighbor's door for bread. Right? It is not a soft, it's not a gentle cry for justice. It's very strong, very aggressive. And this judge is like, Man, this, this lady is crazy. You know? In, in Korean, that's, you know, this lady is, so what I'll do, I'll give her justice so that she doesn't hit me, right? And then it concludes this widow is given justice from a bad judge. Then it continues at verse seven and will not God bring about justice for his chosen one who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you he will see that they get justice and quickly. There are two things that are extremely clear here. Extremely clear. One, a large part of understanding God is understanding his heart for justice for the oppressed. It's undeniable. A large part of understanding God is understanding his heart for justice for the oppressed. Right? I know many of you who have come are thinking might, might might be thinking oh you know like we talk about justice a lot well it's because it's in the Bible a lot. The Bible's littered with it. That's kind of funny, right? And we have to understand that He has a very strong heart for this. If it's all over the Bible, and as His children and as His followers, we must embrace this part of God. We must. And if you want to know what it looks like when you keep faith and being a disciple apart from his heart for the oppressed, there's a very clear picture for you, very biblical picture for you in Amos 5 where Israel has forgotten what it's like to take care of the least of these. I'm reading from Amos 5, 21. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never failing stream. I don't want your offerings. I don't enjoy your festivities. I don't like your music unless I have justice for my people. This is God's heart for the oppressed. And this frightens me. This frightens me for our church and our nation. It's ironic we're talking about a judge and an oppressed woman. Because this past November, nine women came out and accused Roy Moore of molesting and groping them. Some of them when they were in their young teens. And don't lose me here. Don't lose me here. I am not saying that I know he did all of it. Right? Let's get that out of the way. You can quote me on that. I am not saying that I am sure he did all of it. For our purposes, let's say he did none of it. Let's say he is completely innocent for our purposes. What disturbs me what scares me is that there are self-professed god-fearing Christians who can come to the conclusion and say oh even if he did do it he only touched them over her clothes so it's not a big deal This is 조금 미쳤어 This is 조금 미쳤어 and I'm not making any accusations here, all right? Because in my heart, if this man did do it and he repented and he reformed, you know, glory to God because God, he, he rejoices in the repentant, right? He loves that. But all of this is just to say missing God's heart is not that hard and is not that uncommon, All right, You have to ask yourself, what is your faith built on? What is your faith built on? Right? Like, where do you get what you know about God from? Is it shaped by the world? Or is it shaped by your relationship with him? Do you have a relationship with him? Or is, is your relationship of what you know about him shaped more by TV and media instead of what you actually hear from God when you pray? I mean, sometimes I'm like that. I'm guilty of it too. I grew up with an abusive and an absent father. I did. And I, I grew up in middle school. I was bullied in high school. I, was, I wasn't really cool. right? And so to this day, I have to battle this idea that God is a vindictive authority figure that just comes into my life when I, when I disobey to punish me and then just leaves Right? And I hate talking about this, but the only reason I bring that up is because I know many of you in here. Right, I know many of you in here. And I would bet my bottom dollar that at least half of you struggle with a similar distorted view of God, if not worse. That is not God's heart for his people. It is not God's heart for his people. So how do we battle this? It's the, second thing, it's the second thing we see here. Persistent prayer. It works. The widow, she knew her place in society. I mean, I'm pretty sure everyone around her let her know her place in society. But this widow knew God's heart. She boldly demands justice every single day you see to know God's heart you have to pray you have to cry out to God day in and day out you have to listen for God's voice in your life you have to look for his hand in your life and it's work yeah it's work it takes effort many of you will probably struggle praying five minutes a day and if that's you you're not alone You're not alone. But it's work to know that persistent prayer works. It's a grind. You know, a while ago, I committed to praying for the salvation of two of my best friends and my my father. And uh, we were sitting in Pastor Kevin's office. It was myself, Kevin, and a lovely woman that goes to our church. And we were discussing how, you know, just... Having faith in prayer and just really believing that God is moving is just so hard, you know? And, you know, we were sharing, and they had me sharing. And I was like, you know, I've been praying for over a year. I've been praying for like 500 days, asking the Lord to do a work in their lives so that they'd give their lives to Jesus. And I have to confess that it's hard for me to believe that God can do that, right? I I was confessing. I was showing them my heart, right? And they were nodding. They were like, hmm Yes, and I felt so safe, right? They were, they were so understanding, yes, yes. I was like, yeah, right? It's so hard. And Pastor Kevin looks at me and he goes, yeah. I've been praying seven, eight years for a, a relative of mine and you know, to this day, I still have to keep praying. And I was just like, ah, oh, you're not better than me. <laughs> you know, he's praying. So we're all in agreement though, we're still all in agreement. And this woman responds and she goes, yes, yes, Doug. It's so hard. I've been praying 16 years, and this past Sunday was the first time my brother walked into church and I praise God for finally getting him there. And I'm just like, oh, I thought I thought we were all struggling with the same thing. <laughs> but it's to say that there's persistence is needed. I had prayed five hundred days, she had prayed five thousand days. And it's because she knew this side of God's heart. That persistent prayer works. That God wants to provide good for his people. He wants to provide good for his people. And a lot of times, we don't know what good looks like in the moment. And this understanding can only come from studying, reading, meditating on The word of God. That's the only way it can be done. You need to read this word and you need to challenge what you believe. You need to challenge your lifestyle. And for many of you in this room, you need to challenge your pain and the things that have happened to you in your past. So that you can look at them through a lens of redemption. Some of you need this word, that you need to view your pain and your past through the lens of redemption and let go of bitterness. And finally, what we see here uh, in verses 7 and 8. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Weeks ago, uh, we spoke on faith the size of a mustard seed and what it can do. And then we spoke on faith that healed a leper, right? Quantitative measures of faith. And now we see here in this passage, Jesus takes the concept of faith in light of his return, and he poses this question. Will you be like this widow? Will there be believers who pray like this woman, whose faith looks like this, who pray day in, day out, crying out to him, believing that he is moving? What is the quality of your faith? Think about that. What is the quality of your faith? Is it like this widow? But Jesus doesn't stop there. He continues this teaching, and he introduces two other characters, right? The tax collector and the Pharisee. And I I believe this passage is related to the previous one because he is continuing to show us God's heart for his people. Again, it's two individuals, two different statuses. Except this time, uh, one, uh, there's like a different posture, both physically and spiritually, in both of them, right? So we see this Pharisee, he's very righteous, He's very obedient. He's well known for being respected, right? We we know Pharisees, and then there's the tax collector, who's infamous for cheating people, often called a traitor to his own people. And this Pharisee, we have to imagine as he prays, his hands are probably lifted up like this. His head is up to the sky because this was common practice back in those days for prayer. And he says, "God, thank you for not making me like other people, like robbers." evildoers, adulterers, and like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all that I have. He's pretty arrogant, to say the least. But do not dismiss this Pharisee just because he has the title Pharisee. Do not dismiss him, because this can apply to anyone and the Pharisee within us. Right? How easy it is to assume your own righteousness When your life looks righteous. How easy it is to find someone who's not as good as you or doesn't seem like they're doing as well as you right now. Do not dismiss the Pharisee. But notice his contempt for the tax collector. Thank you, God, that I'm not like him. Thank you, Jesus, that I'm not like him. How backwards is that? But it's so easy for us to say that. All just say God's heart is lost on this man because a true relationship with the Father will drive you towards people. It will drive you towards the sinner. It'll drive you towards the oppressed, not away from them. That is God's heart for His people. Jesus reminds us of this many times throughout Luke, right? The one who can forgive will be forgiven those who know they are forgiven much will love much but religiosity drives this man away from the tax collector and he can't see past himself it's tragic and then we have the tax collector's prayer you know he stands afar his head is kind of down he can't look up to the sky and he beats his breast and he says god Have mercy on me, a sinner. Have mercy on me, God, a sinner. He is grieved of his sin. He's grieved by what he's done. And that's all that needs to be said. There's no fancy words. There's no grandiose gestures. There's no promises made. His prayer ends there. And Jesus says the tax collector leaves justified in the eyes of God because he was humbled by the weight of his sin. Family, did you know that your repentance to God is actually your declaration of love to him? Your repentance to God is actually your declaration of love to him. When it's fueled by grief of betraying and hurting the one who loves you and gave you everything rather than fear of punishment, you declare your love for him. Because Jesus' mission was one birthed out of love, right? It came out of love, and this love is what in turn satisfied judgment. And that's God's heart for you. That's God's heart for you. Luke fifteen seven, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Because repentance is so sweet to the Lord. Because in your grief, In your humility, you are declaring to God, God, I love you more than any of these. God, I love you more than I love myself. Of course that brings him joy. (laughs) I... I Oh, man, I shared this in the first service. It's was, it was hard, but still kind of hard. Um, I have a lot of uh, painful memories from when I was younger. Um, I remember when I was six, uh, <laughs> my, my dad used to hit my mom. I remember because she was a night shift nurse, uh, she would be getting ready and she would be in her room crying at the foot of her bed and I I would walk over to her and, you know, I'm six, I I don't know what to say, so I'm just sitting there and I'm I'm just asking, mommy, are you okay? And that moment, those moments affected me so deeply and the things that he said to me and what he did as I grew up, they, they... hurt me so i grew up resenting him i really did i hated this man uh, and i went to college just with resentment rebellion and it, it, what messed me up even more was that i i could still feel his influence on my life because i was just trying to do everything opposite of what he stood for right he still controlled me. i felt like he was driving me into this corner uh, later on in college, I found God, and um, I started praying a lot. I started praying a lot. Um, you know, I, would, I would pray prayers like, God, change this man, you know? Like, would your glory come and pierce his heart, and would he just be born again and changed? And, you know, I would pray these prayers, and I, I would Pray that and still hold this resentment. Uh, One one time when I went home, I I was in my room. just doing my thing, and he comes home a a little drunk, and he slams the garage door. He stomps up the stairs. He slams the bathroom door, slams the bedroom door, slams another door. Finally, he comes into my office, and he goes, hey, didn't you hear me come home? And I was like, yeah. Yeah, I heard you. Yes, asked why didn't you say hi I looked at him and I, I wanted him to know how much I didn't care and I said because I don't care and right when those words fell off my lips he went berserk and he just went on this frenzy and you know I rolled my eyes and I was like typical well during this time God showed me his heart. Um, I went back to school, and uh, my, my small group leader, he came to me. He said, I have a word for you from the Lord. And I was like, oh, do you now? Give me, give me this word from God that you have. And he says to me, he says, your faith is extremely selfish. God doesn't exist to serve you. When he said that to me, I was like, no. What are you talking about? You know, he dropped me off. I went back to my friend and closed the door. I was like, oh, it's true. That's so selfish. It was around the same week that um, my sister came to me, and she told me something I didn't know about my dad. It was that um, he, has, he has older sisters that are like 20-plus years older than he, are, he is. Uh, so because of that and family conditions, my father's father was... Too old to take care of him. So what they did was they bounced him around the sisters' houses. And, um, you know, no one wants to take care of a kid that's not even yours. So he grew up unwanted. And when I heard that story, my heart broke for him. Because this man grew up unwanted. And now he felt like his own family didn't want him. Because of that, my prayers changed. And I started praying, God, could you change me so that I could love him in a way that he would know that he's loved by you? That was was God changing me. I remember God saying to me, Doug, will you love much? Because you've been forgiven much. This is my heart. So I'm back home, and um, there's one particularly bad fight with my mom. And usually what I do is when they're, when they're fighting, I just, I just stand there, right, so that nothing will happen. And when the fight's over, usually my mom's upset, so I'm taking care of my mom, and my dad storms off. But this time, I followed him up to his office. Right? I remember I I, I was feeling 미쳤어, feeling up to his office, right? And he's in his office, and he's, like, breaking things. I remember he we had this, like, metal sheet that was, like, the cover of our copy machine, and he was hitting stuff with it. He was so mad. And, like, I had to, like, kind of, like, fight through that. And I, I I have, the cuts on my hands from it still. And I just grab him, and I hold him as hard as he can. I just hugged him like this. And he's, like, struggling He's fighting me and he's like just because you think you're stronger than me now means like you think you can do this to me and I hold him and I said dad dad I'm sorry I'm your son and I'm sorry I'm sorry for the way I treated you I love you and I'm sorry I never thought I would apologize to him for that. But ever since then, our relationship has never been the same. I love that man in ways that I could have never thought I could. And that's because when you follow God's heart, your life will be transformed. Let's pray.